it's so exciting to see what God continues to do in and through our kids' ministry. I'm thankful for Lucas and for our many volunteers who invest week in and week out uh, into the lives and hearts of our children. Uh, that was a, a dual glimpse, one of Centric Kid Camp, also mixed in with our Power Up Clubs this past week. Uh, we had a tremendous time at uh, Centric Kid down at Lake Yale. Uh, earlier this summer, uh, 28 kids went with us, second through fifth grade, and seven leaders. I appreciate them taking their time uh, that week. Power Up Clubs was a tremendous uh, success, opportunity. We had 20 adults leading groups at six different locations in the morning and the evening, 30 students uh, leading that time as well. Uh, we had 138 kids attending, which is awesome. And here's uh, what's even better news is that 55 kids of that 138, so about 40%, uh, did not attend our church. And even the better news is, well, better in some way, is that we have 46 kids who came who are not connected to a church. So the great news is we have great opportunities to continue investing into those kids and families. The way Power Up Clubs was designed is an hour time. So many of the families and many of the parents stayed on location with their kids and had the opportunity to hear the gospel every evening. And we're so thankful for you for praying for us, for the many who were involved in setting this up and leading the time uh, and pouring into the hearts and lives of kids and families here in our community. Uh, also, uh, we didn't share too much about July 4th, but we got those numbers in, tremendous turnout, even with the rain and thunder and lightning that kind of went around us a little bit that evening. Uh, but we had 255 people who registered as they came on campus for our dinner and celebration before the fireworks, 255 who were not um, part of our church. And so we're thankful for the opportunity we have to follow up with them, to help them connect here at Church on Bayshore and to help them know who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. As we continue this morning, uh, we are going to jump in back into the book of Mark chapter four. We're continuing with our series, Beneath the Surface. Uh, Pastor Justin began the series last week and if you noticed, hopefully you noticed, we actually skipped a passage as we've been going through Mark. Um, so we're gonna go back to the beginning of chapter four and pick up on the parable of the sower. If you were here about six months ago on Valentine's Day, I actually preached uh, a sermon on the parable of the sower from Matthew's account. Uh, so Pastor James uh, asked me to preach again on the parable of the sower. So if you weren't here, you're... You're good because we're gonna I'm gonna preach the same sermon. If you were here, um, just bear with me. I'm just kidding. Not the same sermon, totally different. Uh, but we are gonna be looking through this passage as Mark's account and seeing, uh, titled this sermon, The Secrets of the Kingdom, The Secret of the Kingdom. Jesus explains to his disciple about the meaning of the parable. And it's an invitation for us to understand God's kingdom how he works here on earth and how we can be a part of that. The parable sower is a very familiar story in the Bible. And back in February, I shared with you about our peach tree in the backyard. If you already heard it, not to go too long, but we got it about six years ago. It was about as tall as me, six feet tall. And it was doing great. We'd have like little peaches here and there, but then we had some bad winters. I probably didn't do the best of taking care of it and branches started dying. And so every time a branch would die, I'd chop it off. And then it basically became just a tree trunk. Uh, Dana was like, just get rid of it, it's dead. And I was like, I'm just gonna cut it all the way down to the ground and see what happens. 
So cut all the way down to the ground, nothing happening. And right before COVID started, I was like, babe, okay, we'll, I'll go dig it up. We're done with the peach tree. It's not gonna do anything. It sat in the ground and nothing's there. Put the shovel in the ground to dig it up and there's a tiny green shoot. Like this has to be a weed. Like there's no way the tree's not done anything for over a year. Dig all the way around it and the shoot was coming from the peach tree. Y'all, I was so excited about that peach tree. Um, I'm a Georgia boy, I love peaches, but more than loving peaches, I love peach milkshakes and peach ice cream and peach cobbler. Um, but the reason I was so excited about the peach trees because peach trees produce peaches, right? Making peaches is what peach trees were created for. You see, followers of Jesus in the early church, and today as we follow Jesus, our lives are to be oriented around the mission of God, that we would go and make disciples. And here as we read through the book of Mark in chapter four, as he gives us the account of Jesus telling his disciples the parable, he's giving his disciples and giving us today a glimpse into the kingdom of God. And as we see this glimpse, we're reminded that making disciples is what disciples were created for. God created us to be in relationship with him and he invites us to be in relationship with him that we would go and make disciples. So if you'll jump in with me, we're gonna read the first uh, several verses of Mark chapter four, get a little bit of context uh, as we dive in this morning. Mark writes, again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we see here at the very beginning that Jesus gets into a boat. Kind of interesting, right? Like crowds start gathering around. He's like, I'm gonna go jump in this boat. Uh, not a common thing for people of that day who taught uh, in the synagogues to use a boat uh, as their pulpit, but Jesus did. Um, and I can imagine that in that area was some great acoustics for him to be able to teach from the boat and for this crowd that gathers around him to be able to hear him. Uh, but I also just think of what a tremendous, awesome view that the crowd had as they see Jesus on the boat and they're overlooking the lake and the scenery. This morning when I pulled in, I, I walked across Bayshore to get to the office to uh, review my notes. And man, we live in a beautiful area and our church is placed on a beautiful piece of property. And as I look across the water, it was almost like glass this morning before the storms came through. And uh, I just love when the water is just still. It's almost like nothing in the water is moving. And it's just a reminder of God's presence and his power, that he's created all these things and everything he's done points back to him. And so Jesus teaches from the boat. And I also can imagine what the people are beginning to say. 
I'm sure some are beginning to be critical. Some are probably like, Jesus can't teach from a boat. Who does that? Teaching must be done in the synagogue. Or maybe some are thinking, you know, we need to be inside. It's way more comfortable in there. It's not too hot, not too cold. The weather's so unpredictable. Why are we sitting outside listening to Jesus teach? Or maybe they're complaining like we did at Lake Yale with Centric Kid of, man, there's so many mosquitoes out here. It's horrible. Those were some of the biggest mosquitoes and the most relentless mosquitoes I've ever seen at Lake Yale. If you ever go, I don't think they're, I think they're resilient to bug spray and probably drinking out of the bug spray can because you would spray yourself down and they were still everywhere. But maybe the crowd was also even just saying, maybe someone in the crowd was kind of critical and saying, we can't be here by the water. It's a huge liability. Someone might drown in the water. But Jesus knew that as the crowd came, he had an opportunity to teach them and to show them about the kingdom. And he also realized that some that would gather in this crowd might hear, but they wouldn't understand. But not only does it say that he got into the boat, but scripture tells us, and Mark tells us in this account, that Jesus sat down. And you see, today, we don't really think too much about sitting. Uh, We do it. The only time we probably think about sitting is when we're getting ready to sit down to make sure something's behind us, that we're not gonna fall, right? To make sure uh, we're gonna be uh, caught. But sitting down, uh, today's culture can be kind of a neutral thing, like, right? Students, you go to class and you sit down at the desk because your teacher's getting ready to start class and to teach you. Um, or maybe, you know, here, we're all here this morning, worship, and so we're sitting down, we're hearing God's word. Uh, but sitting can also be negative. It could be calling someone a couch potato because they're lazy and they do nothing all day, or maybe you're talking about their performance or what they do, and you're saying, man, they just sit down on the job, don't they? But there's not really too many opportunities that where we talk about sitting where there's a positive uh, connotation to it. However, the act of sitting in culture back then was very specific and very important. Mark had a purpose in telling us that Jesus sat down in the boat. You see, when people taught the scriptures, they would stand while they read scripture, and then when they were ready to teach, they would sit down. This would signify the distinction between God's word being read and then someone teaching and applying God's word. The other interesting thing I found out is that as people would teach, they were sitting down, but those who were listening would stand up. So I thought this morning, I'll just ask all of you, I'm just kidding, not gonna ask you to stand up. Um, But would you, would you stand up? Um, So it signifies this, but the other interesting thing about Jewish culture is that it was very figurative when people would sit down. You see, remember when Jesus taught the multitudes, they were sitting and then he told, they were standing and then he told them to go and sit down while he fed them the bread and the fish. Uh, it was always very important of Je- when people sat down, specifically when Jesus did it. And figuratively, as we read this, we should be thinking about the point that when Jesus sat down, it signified a intimate fellowship. When Jesus saw the crowd come, he had compassion on them. We see that many times throughout scripture, but we see it in him sitting down and being willing to take the time to teach them out of a desire that they would see a glimpse of the kingdom and that they would respond to his teaching and be part of his work. There's a care, there's a compassion, there's a patience, there's a heart-to-heart conversation that was taking place of something that was so important, so life-changing that he wanted to make sure they heard it and that they understood it. This was a conversation of great importance. Think about people that are in your lives that you have intimate relationships with. 
that you are like best friends and you have, you celebrate things together, you're excited, you rejoice over things together, maybe even times that you mourn over things together, maybe there are things that may not be right and you have to address them out of concern and care and compassion. Jesus saw the crowd and he was moved and he took the moment to sit down because he wanted them to understand who God was more about the kingdom and the opportunity the crowd had to be part of the work of God in and around them. So we see the crowd gathered around them. It's no surprise that they gathered around and I'm so thankful for the people that gathered. I think about all the different types of people that could have gathered that day. Children, adults, people from the city, people from the countryside, men, women, Jews, Gentile, recognized leaders in the community and unrecognized common citizens, educated, uneducated, any category you think of, those people could have been there. And I'm reminded that we all can hear and are to be taught the word of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for those people that God's used in my life to teach me his word and to invest into me and that we have an opportunity in turn to pour into other people. And so he sits down and says that he began to teach parables. A word parable literally means to put alongside of that he's sharing this everyday common experience so they could understand something spiritual about the kingdom of God. I can only imagine what certain people that gathered around would think as they're hearing this. Maybe it's a farmer and he's like, oh man, like I need to pay attention because I could be better and produce a better crop and a better harvest and make more income for my family. He's gonna teach me how to better plant seeds in my field. Or maybe it was the politician and he was thinking, man, I just need to pay attention because this will definitely help me um, <clears throat> with creating a new farm education program here in the community. The folks will love it. It'll generate a lot of business in our community and help the economy. And this will definitely help me for my next election. Maybe it's the reporter who's saying, man, there's a huge story here. We need to make sure that people know about this. There's a huge bird problem and it would completely destroy all of our crops and completely destroy our farming community. Or maybe it's the salesman who's like, man, this is really gonna help me sell more fertilizer because the farmer's gonna need this so they can have a bigger and better crop. But you see, Jesus told this story and he wanted to make sure that they heard it right. He wanted to make sure that they heard him. In verse nine, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't as concerned that they would hear it with their ears, but that they would understand it with their hearts and apply it to their lives. There's a story of a gentleman who is uh, at his doctor's office and he for many months was thinking that his wife had trouble hearing and he was concerned about her and he said, doc, you know, I don't know what to do. She won't admit that she has a hearing problem and she won't come in to see you. What can I do? And the doctor said, well, here's something you can try. Here's the test to try. When you go home one afternoon, just as you enter in the door, just scream, I yell pretty loud so she can hear you. Hey, honey, I'm home. What's for dinner? If she doesn't answer, you know she's having trouble hearing, walk towards the kitchen uh, or wherever she is in the house, and a little quiet, a little more quietly say, honey, I'm home, what's for dinner? If she still hasn't responded to you, then walk up to her, kind of whisper in her ear, hey, honey, what's for dinner? This will help you know if she's able to hear or not. The husband's like, this is a genius idea. Why didn't I think of this? So he goes home one afternoon. Uh, he walks in the door. Hey, honey, I'm home, what's for dinner? No reply. He's like, I, I told the doctor, I've told my wife that she, she can't hear anything. So she's in the kitchen fixing dinner. He walks up to the, the entryway and 
says, hey, honey, I'm home, what's for dinner? He hears nothing. So he walks up to her, he leans in. Hey, honey, I'm home, what's for dinner? His wife turns around, she's like, babe, I told you three times, we're having roast beef. (laughs) Some of you haven't figured it out, okay. My students didn't like my jokes either. Um, But you see, it wasn't, it's not about us audibly hearing what Jesus is saying. But it's about our hearts being willing and ready to receive what it is he wants us to do. And so as Jesus is teaching, he recognizes their need to understand he has compassion on them. So he sits in the boat and he begins to teach them And then as we pick up here in verse 10, we see that the disciples and a few others come to him and they say, hey, the story you told, what is it about? We don't understand. And he continues to explain to them. And you see the key to being a disciple of Jesus, the key to the secret of the kingdom of God is that we would be disciples. And we're gonna be using this term disciple and disciple maker and disciple making a lot this morning. So I just wanna define them and I got these definitions, they're very simple, but I feel like very powerful and very clear uh, from a website called discipleship.org. A disciple is just someone who is following Jesus, a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Someone who's following Jesus, they desire to be changed by Jesus, they're willing to allow him to work in their lives that they will look more and more like Jesus, and then they're committed to the mission of Jesus that we would go out and we would tell other people about him, that other people would come to know who Jesus is. The next is disciple maker. So disciples are committed to the mission of Jesus, right? So that means they're a disciple maker. And these are Christians who enter into a relationship with other people to help them trust and follow Jesus. Each one of us, if we're following Jesus, we are commanded to make disciples, that we would help other people know who Jesus is, trust him, and then follow him as well. So that brings us to disciple making, that's discipleship, that's the process of just helping people to trust and follow Jesus. So as we read through this morning, I want us to see what Jesus was teaching his disciples and what he may be teaching us this morning about what it looks like if we're going to be all in on the mission that Jesus has given us to help people believe in Jesus. That's that's our Vision, right, as a church, to do whatever it takes to lead people to believe in Jesus, to belong to God's family, and to become who he's created them to be, impacting the world for Christ. But before we jump in, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your compassion in our own lives that as you look at us and as you have mercy on us and you're patient with us as we desire to follow you, I pray that you would help us to trust you. Pray that you would help us to be obedient to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to stay on mission with who you've called us to be and what you've called us to do, that your name would be glorified, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and that your kingdom would advance in and through our lives, individually and corporately, as we reach our community, as we reach our country, and as we see the gospel go around the world, Father. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open and receptive. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and do a work that only you can do, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll pick back up with me 
In verse 10, we have the, uh, the disciples coming to him. It says, and when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And Jesus said to them, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. For those who are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. There's a few things I want us to see here. So the disciples and others, they come. And last time when we were in this passage, back in February, we looked at, and a lot of sermons on this passage revolve around the fact that we're to examine our own heart. And that is very evident in this passage that Jesus wants the hearers to know their heart and know if they're receptive to the gospel. But I also think that's interesting that the disciples come and Jesus has an opportunity to give them a glimpse into the kingdom of God and to help them understand what the ministry it is that they've been called to and what that will look like as they go forth to share the gospel. And even more so when Jesus dies, it raises again and ascends into heaven and they are given the mission to go and to tell other people about Jesus. He wants them to understand the mission that they're being given and how they can be faithful to carry out that mission. And so as we do that, I want us to think about a few things we see just from the beginning of this passage, even specifically in verse 10 through 12. One is that God uses his word to draw people to himself. We see that at the very beginning when Jesus sees the crowd, he sits down to teach them that God wants people in relationship with himself. He wants us to know his great love. He wants us to know his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace. You see, sometimes we think about parables and we're like, oh, Jesus gave this parable because he wanted to hide it from other people. But no, Jesus gave the parable because he wanted to draw people to himself. He wanted people to be curious about what it is and why it was that he was teaching these things. And we see a response of part of that crowd who comes to him, the disciples and of some others that were near him, and they come and they ask, what is it you're teaching? What is it you want us to understand from this? God wants all people to know him, and he draws people to himself through his word, through his written word and through his living word, Jesus Christ. We also must be reminded as we share the gospel, as we engage in disciple-making that not only is it God's word who draws people to himself, but that God calls each and every one of us to join him in kingdom work. If you're gonna give your life to Jesus, then you have to be committed to his mission. In February, I shared that there are several reasons why Jesus used parables, and three of those were to prompt personal examination, which we talked about, like we need to check our heart. We need to see the condition of our heart. Are we open to what it is Jesus is teaching and what it is Jesus wants to do in our lives? But also to extend an invitation that he invites us to join him. And then last, to produce spiritual transformation. 
Jesus doesn't want us to stay the way we were. He wants us to be a living instrument for him and for his kingdom. So as we are interacting with people, we have to remember also that God's word has the power to transform lives. I think many of us, especially if we've been believers for a long period of time, we forget how much in need we are of God's grace and forgiveness. I'm thankful for Jonathan reading that passage this morning that we need to be reminded that our lives were just as much in need of saving as anyone else's. We all have a sin problem and we are all separated from God. That we need to have grace and compassion on people's lives and desire to see God's word at work in their lives to bring about salvation, something that only God himself can do. We also realize that when God's word is taught, that it demands a response. Anytime we come before God's word, whether it's in a worship gathering, whether it's in a life group, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's personal time daily in the word, that we need to be prepared to respond to what it is that God is teaching us and what he's showing us and realize that even not responding is still a very deliberate choice not to respond that you cannot walk away from God's word without making a decision on what you're going to do with his word. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by gaining more and more information about God, but spiritual growth happens by growing more and more in submission to God. It's very easy to try to gain a lot of information about scripture or to know a lot of things about God. God doesn't want just our minds. He wants our heart that's willing to be obedient and submissive to what he wants to do in us and through us. You see, Jesus refers to the secret of the kingdom as a mystery, and it's not a mystery in the fact that he wants to hide it from us, but that it can only be known if God reveals it to us. And throughout scripture, we see that if people are desiring the things of God, that more is being revealed to them. God's heart, remember, is that everyone would know him. God's heart is that people would be drawn to him. And so God desires that if we seek after the things of God, that he will reveal himself to us, that we would know him and live our lives for him. In Palestinian culture, the seed was planted and then it was plowed into the ground. And I don't want us to miss the fact that this, while this parable talks about planting seeds and we equate it with evangelism, we, plant it, we equate it with sharing the gospel, that there's more to it than just us sharing the gospel and then walking away. You see, the key, if you miss the key to the parable, then you've missed the whole parable. The parable's not about money, it's not about love, it's not about uh, hard work, but the key is discipleship. The key of the kingdom is making disciples and investing into the lives and hearts of people that they would hear the gospel, they would know who Jesus is, and that they would follow him in obedience. We're reading as a ministerial staff uh, the book Sticky Church by Larry Osborne, and just from the very beginning, uh, I think he sets a a great picture of sometimes uh, how we have trouble uh, remembering that discipleship is both evangelism and an ongoing process of walking along pe- alongside people 
that they would grow in trusting and following Jesus. He says, just look at the way we as churches typically respond to a burst of growth or the baby steps of a new believer. We're quick to rejoice at the first signs of spiritual life, but in most cases, while we hope that the growth lasts and continues, the sprouting of the seed is the main thing. That's what we count, that's what we measure, that's what we celebrate. If the seed dries up and dies at the first sign of hardship, we're bummed, but we're hardly devastated. At least it sprouted and popped out of the ground, and that's a lot better than not having started at all. The same goes for anyone who starts out well and lasts for a while before being choked off by the weeds of worldly concern. We wish it hadn't happened, we want better for them, but at least they got off to a good start. But here's the problem. Unlike Jesus' original audience, very few of us know much about farming. For most of us, the produce aisle is the closest encounter we'll have with agriculture. So we completely miss the emotional response that anyone raised on a farm would have to this parable. No farmer would ever be satisfied with initial growth killed off before the harvest. A crop that didn't last all the way to harvest was a financial disaster. The response wouldn't be just a shrug and a no well. It would be more akin to sackcloth and ashes. I realize that most scholars see the soil in this parable as representing the condition of individual hearts, and I agree. However, the underlying principles are not only true for individuals, but they are also true for the ministry of the local church. You see, this parable is so much more than just planting seeds and sharing the gospel. He's telling the disciples that the ministry they're getting ready to get involved in, they will see the seed planted in many different lives You'll see the response of many different people to the gospel in many different ways. But it should burden us when someone does not receive the gospel and accept it that it would bear much fruit in their lives for the kingdom of God. So just uh, for the next several moments, I want us to look at this passage in, the, in light of and through the lens of disciple-making. And the first thing we're reminded of is that disciple-making is not a quick process or program. Disciple-making is not a quick process or progr- program. Process doesn't happen overnight. It's not a quick fix. It's not a do this and see instant results tomorrow. We're in such a fast-paced society where we want everything instantly, whether it's information on our phone or throwing something in the microwave or getting our groceries picked up outside of Walmart. Whatever it is, we want stuff and we want it fast because it saves us time to do other things. Discipleship is not that way. It's also not a program. We say one of our values here at Church on Bayshore is that programs don't make disciples, people do. There are a lot of great programs, there are a lot of great ministries, but the the key to how we're going to be able to make disciples and to see people growing and trusting in Jesus and following him and to walk alongside other people that they would grow is not because we have some great program or some great ministry, but we have people who love Jesus and want to see other people's lives and hearts changed for the gospel. We also see that disciple making changes believers, uh, engages believers in spiritual warfare talks about the seed that fell and the bird came and took it up and Jesus says that that bird represents Satan, that the last thing the enemy wants to, do, wants to happen is for people to hear the word of God because the word of God has the power to transform lives. But it also means that we are engaged in the battle, that we're part of the attack. We are the target because the enemy not only doesn't want the word to be heard, but he doesn't want anyone to proclaim the word so the word 
can be heard. Are we willing to engage in battle? Are we willing to engage in a spiritual battle over the souls and hearts of people who do not know Jesus because their eternity is separation forever from a good and loving God? We also see that disciple making is hard work. It takes a lot to walk alongside of people and to help them. It takes a lot in our own lives personally to follow and to trust Jesus. And God somehow in his mercy says, I've given you my spirit, I've given you my word to empower you that you can walk alongside other people that together you would grow in your obedience and your faithfulness to me. I had the privilege of attending a couple uh, retirement ceremonies. One was an Air Force uh, ceremony this summer. One was a, an Army. And as I was sitting there, just so thankful for the men who have served and so thankful for the role the Lord has used those men in my life. Uh, bo- uh, most retirement ceremonies are very similar in the fact that they, they share that many of the things that are being shared and even those that aren't being shared, people know nothing about. It's very limited. And some things that happen that these men have done, no one will ever know anything about. And I think about the sacrifices they made. I think about the sacrifice their families have made, many in this room, of our men and women who have given their lives and given of their comfort and their convenience for the mission of our country. And then I think about these two men in particular who just retired, and I think about their impact for the kingdom and what God's called us to do It's hard work. It requires sacrifice. What Jesus has called us to do requires that it's not our own way or our own desires, that we would submit to him. It means what he calls us to do isn't gonna be easy. It may not be convenient. It may not be comfortable, but it's worth it because of who Jesus is. We also are reminded that disciple-making should be the desire of every believer. It says that those who... Uh, the seed that were sown on good soil, those are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. We should desire to see other people come to know Jesus as we share the gospel, but then also as we walk alongside of them and show them what it means to follow Jesus. You see, the sower went out and sowed seed, and the farmer, he wasn't worried about some seed going bad. He wasn't worried that some wouldn't produce He wasn't worried that he was gonna waste it. He was being obedient to go and he cared for his crop and his field until it produced a harvest. Church, we must go out and share the gospel with those in our community, those in our family, those in our workplace, whoever God's placed in our lives, and we must be willing to walk alongside of them to see a harvest for the kingdom of God. Disciple making is designed for spiritual growth. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 that he is the vine, we are the branches. We must abide in him that apart from him, we can do nothing. This hard work, this task, this mission he's given us, we cannot do on our own. We must rely on him. And it's only through him that we are able to see growth. And he's not only given us himself, his word, his Holy Spirit, but he's given us our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside and to do life together that we would be spurred on and encouraged and challenged as we live on mission for God. Uh, the girls, they, we planted a garden 
we had a big discussion of whether or not we were going to do it because it was going to take a lot of time. Dana was like, I don't have the capacity to do that right now. We're not going to do it. The Mother's Day weekend, I talked to our girls. And I was like, hey, let's do a garden. Are you in? They're like, yeah, it's awesome. We love the garden, all the vegetables. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, like, are you willing to put in the work? Like, the garden's a hot mess right now. We've got to weed it. We've got to completely redo the soil. We've got to get the rows back up and going, all that. Like, yeah, we can do that. I'm like, no, the work still is after that because we still have to pick weeds. We still have to make sure the vegetables are growing, take care of it, prune it, whatever we need to do. Yeah, 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 we're good. Uh, Sadie and Josie also wanted some flowers in the garden, so they found some sunflower seeds. And um, at Walmart, Walmart has everything. Um, and they got sunflower seeds. We planted 12 seeds. We currently have two uh, sunflower plants. And one's about the uh, height of Sadie. One is Josie's height. And the smaller of the two, actually, I went out there this morning before I came in, and it has a small sunflower bloom. It's starting to open up. And uh, they planted that back on Mother's Day. And it just now, one of the 12 is just now starting to produce a flower. Disciple making is hard work. Disciple making is a slow process. It's not a quick, do this, do this, we're done, move on. And as I was studying this passage, the Lord impressed another thing on, on my heart. And I wasn't sure if I was gonna share it this morning because I felt like it was, it was hard, not necessarily for you, but it was hard for me. And... Um, It's that disciple-making is not happening if no one is reaching the lost. Disciple-making is not happening here at Church on Bayshore if we, as God's people, are not reaching the lost. And that's nothing new. That's nothing new for any church. It's nothing different. And as a, a friend, as a brother in Christ, someone who's been with many of you for, for 10 years, the Lord just kept impressing and challenging, not even for you, but for me. Michael, if discipleship is happening, if disciple making is happening, then people are gonna be reaching the lost. And not just sharing the gospel, but once they accept Christ, willing to walk alongside of them and doing the hard work that it takes to see them bearing fruit for the kingdom. In his book, Becoming a Disciple Maker, Bobby Harrington and Greg uh, Wins, they write about this. And I just thought it was a great recap of this dynamic between discipleship and evangelism. Sometimes we, we separate them out, but they, they go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. They write, the concept of disciple making seems to come into vogue every few decades or so. And then unfortunately, the pendulum often swings between intentional effort to help people become new believers or on an emphasis on growing disciples. It's as if we have to choose between evangelism and spiritual growth. As Jesus showed us in his life and teaching, reaching the lost and helping disciples grow are both part of discipleship. Evangelism in the front end of disciple making and spiritual growth is the back end of disciple making. I probably would have worded that a little bit differently. Um, both are eternally and extremely linked so making disciples must include relating to people far from Christ in a way that helps them come to faith in Jesus and to grow in that faith. Naturally, as they mature and as they are trained to be intentional disciple makers, they will then repeat the process with others. Discipleship without a healthy element of reaching lost people is not discipleship at all. 
It's just training for stunted growth Christianity. And what often happen, what often is thought as evangelism isn't really evangelism without discipleship. It's just headhunting, getting people to make a transaction with God. Essentially, it's simply trying to sell an insurance policy rather than trying to help individuals cross the threshold of faith into a redemptive and growing relationship with Jesus. Again, without having and acting on a burden for those who are far from Jesus, growing in that redemptive relationship through Jesus is impossible. A century ago, people called it a soul burden, a burden for the souls of men and women who are separated from Christ and are experiencing life lived on the edges. It's impossible to truly be transformed through dynamic faith in Christ without wanting to do life with God of all creation. When you experience the transformation of your life by his love and grace, you're eternally changed. You see, church, it's impossible to follow God by staying where you are. When God asks us to follow him, it means that we move from where we are to be where he is. This week, uh, my car, uh, the check engine light came on. And if you know me, even slightly so well, you know I know nothing about vehicles or how to fix them, more specifically how to fix them. So I started freaking out. It was after church, I guess Tuesday afternoon, headed to Blue Water, and I'm like, maybe I should stop the car. Maybe I'm gonna wreck the whole engine. I have no idea what's going on. So I get home. I mean, nothing sounded weird, and there was no smoke coming up or anything. I told Dana, and I was like, we're gonna have to go get this uh, checked out. And so the next morning I went, and I'm like, man, they're gonna hook this up to the diagnostics and run all these things, and like all of the worst case scenarios came into my mind. I'm like, I'm gonna need a new engine. This is gonna be like completely expenses worth more than the car's worth. I need this car to last a couple more years. And uh, so I take it uh, to my buddy Josh, and he starts running the diagnostics, and he's like, you're good. I'm like, what do you mean I'm good? He goes, well, it's a problem, but it's not anything major. It needs to be dealt with, you know, soon. He goes, I'm gonna go ahead and turn the check engine light off, but, you know, when it comes back on, bring it, you know, I'll order the parts, I'll bring, bring it back in, I'll take care of it. Again, know nothing about cars, O2 sensors, oxygen to the engine, I don't know, making things run. It gets my car from place A to place B. Um, and as I was coming in this morning, my check engine light came back on, the one that he had turned off. Um, back on, so I'll be calling him tomorrow. But uh, the Lord, as I was praying for our time together this morning, really just impressed on my heart. Like, Michael, you need to check your heart. See, that check engine light wasn't the problem. The, the problem wasn't the light was on, but the light signified a problem going on underneath the engine, underneath the hood, right? And I think this morning... God's asking us to do a heart check, that we would allow him to examine our lives against his word and against his mission that he's called us to be a part of. And many times, myself included, God asks us to do something and I'll make excuses. Oh, it's too hard or it's too much time or that doesn't really fit or I don't feel like I can do that or whatever the case is. Yeah, Jesus calls us to do things that are too hard for us because he wants us not to rely on our own strength, but on him. And as the disciples hear this and they're being 
prepared for ministry on their own. Jesus was telling them, you're gonna face all kinds of things as you share the gospel, all kinds of different responses, but your heart must always be, and your focus must always be on the end result of seeing people's hearts and lives change for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. We had 46 kids this week that had the opportunity to hear the gospel who are not attending a church here in our community, and their parents were there. We had, I had one of our first impression members last week tell us that we had a new family visit for the very first time last Sunday because they attended our July 4th event and they had not previously been connected to a church here. The Lord is bringing people to our church and we have an opportunity to walk alongside of them, that they would know who Jesus is, that they would believe in him, and that they would trust and follow him that they would be a part of our family here and they would become who God has created them to be. And I don't know what it is that God may be speaking to your heart. Maybe we don't open up the altar or officially, officially like, hey, come to the altar. Maybe you need to pray there in your seat. Maybe you need to pray with somebody next to you. Maybe you need to pray in your life group. Maybe you need to spend some time abiding with Jesus and spending time in his word Maybe that check engine light came on for you this morning as it has for me in the past couple of weeks going through this passage. See, it's, it's a signal of something that's going on inside. It's, the light's not the problem. The, the warning's not the problem. It's what's inside. And the Lord this morning, he wants us to be faithful to sharing the gospel and to telling people about him, but also willing to walk alongside of them as they learn and understand what it means to trust Jesus and to follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for loving us. And God, I thank you for your word. God, you have invited us to join you on mission. And God, I pray that we would be faithful to that. What you have called to us to is hard work and it's a work, a lifelong process, one where we may oftentimes not even see the fruit of our labor, but God, we know that because of your word that there will be a great harvest for your kingdom. And Father, we pray for those that you uh, have placed in our lives individually and those in the life of our church that we would be faithful uh, to walk alongside of them, to plant seeds of the gospel to show them what it means to trust and follow Jesus. Not that we have it perfectly, but Lord, you are perfect. I thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. I pray that your spirit will continue to speak to us, continue to work in us. Father, we want to bear much fruit for your kingdom. We want to see the hearts and lives of people in our community changed and transformed that they would believe in you, that they would belong to your family, and Father, they would become who you've created them to be. We pray this in your son's name.